I realized some years ago, as I used to struggle with preparing a new Christmas sermon every year, um, I wasn't very good at it, and I realized that for me to love you the best way I know how uh, at this time of year when we remember the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is to challenge you uh, in the strongest possible terms. There are a lot of things I could stand up here and talk about tonight. I mean, uh, the subject matter is large, and but I always come back to this same message. The Lord will not leave me alone about it. I think it's because this is this is what Christmas is to me. This is what it looks like for me. And I remember several years ago when I first became aware of what was happening in the Christmas story and that this should happen in me. Um, I just can't get off on to another sermon. So with that short introduction, I, I would add that C.S. Lewis is almost always right. And he said, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed, okay? So tonight, if you've been in this church before on Christmas, and many of you haven't, uh, I'm going to remind you what God intends to do in your heart and your life through this season. I'm going to remind you what He intends. So, who am I to argue with C.S. Lewis? It's time to be reminded what the Christmas story not only is, but how it should be fleshed out in our own lives. And I'll just say it to you. If you really believe it, it should have a radical impact on you every day you walk the planet. If you really believe it. If it's simply dogma or doctrine or orthodoxy or a confession, it doesn't really make any difference except on Sunday. But if you really believe God's in a manger, if you really believe God is in a manger, it changes everything. It changes everything. There's not one thing that that truth and reality does not change. I read a book some years ago written by a pastor, two pastors, and so it might have very little interest to you. But I'll never forget what he said. Actually, it's the guy that, that wrote the... Uh, the Message Bible, Eugene Peterson, he said this, Everyone treats us so nicely. No one seems to think we mean what we say. Okay, he's talking about preachers. Every time you come in here, I mean what I say. And I've said it to you before. Every time the Gospel's preached, everything forever is at stake. Some of you don't really believe that. I fear. He continues. He says, are these people right about us? Is their way of life in no danger from us? Listen, every time you walk in here, your way of life is in danger. Go read the Christmas story. Everybody's life got blown up. Okay? Everybody's life got blown up. It was never the same for Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the magi. Nothing was ever the same. <laughs> okay? I think this is what the Lord wants us to take away from the Christmas story. 
You just can't live like the rest of the world if you really believe God's in a manger. I mean, if you really believe it, you can't live like everybody else. It changes you. It just changes you. You read the Christmas story. There's awe. There's wonder. There's surrender. There's obedience. There's sacrifice. There's joy. There's worship. There is the miraculous. Everyone's way of life has been changed. As Peterson said, everyone's way of life in the Christmas story was in danger. <laughs> and Christ means that to be true for you and for me as well. Eternal, infinite, almighty Creator God is in a manger. And nobody who really believes it stays the same. I've got two quotes I always have to share on Christmas. My two most favorite quotes about the incarnation. The, a big word. You guys know what incarnation means. It's a big word. It just means that God has taken on flesh. That's all the word means in a biblical context. But I love what Charles Spurgeon said, uh, 19th century English preacher. And you've you got to love this. I want you to listen closely to his quote. Infinite yet infant, eternal yet born, almighty yet suckled, upholding a universe yet laying in a manger. I love that quote. To me, that gets about as close as you can get in one sentence to encapsulate the mystery and the awe and the wonder of God taking on flesh. I heard a guy this week uh, talking and he was saying, the Creator has climbed into His cosmos. Another guy said, the author has entered into his own story. Okay? This is uh, mammoth. These are mammoth truths. Mammoth for us. So, don't you dare. If you call yourself a Christian, don't you dare. Let Christmas go by and not be in awe. And not worship. And not be stunned and not be staggered that your God has loved you like this. He should not have come to save you. He should not have come to save me. But He did. God has taken on flesh. I am El Shaddai, Elohim, Adonai. He's in a manger in a nowhere place. A backwater place. God's in a manger there. And if you think about it for about 120 seconds, you realize everything changes. If you believe it, there's no way that everything can't change. One more quote for you. Um, J.I. Packer, contemporary theologian, he says, the more you think about it, the more staggering it is. Some of you aren't staggered. One, because you don't believe it. And two, if you do believe it, you've never thought deeply about it. If you're not stunned by this biblical revelation, if you are not stunned by it, you're not really hearing it and you're not really believing it. It's just a fact, beloved. Don't tell me you believe it and your life hasn't changed. Don't tell me that. At least not in a saving way. Of course, we know Satan believes the facts. We always refer to the fact that Satan is the consummate theologian. He believes the facts. 
But we talked about it last week. Belief in a biblical sense, a saving sense, is much deeper than simply believing facts. And I think that's what, that's what Christianity is. It's staggered people trying to live it out, right? We are stunned that God has loved us this way. We can't believe it. We're staggered by this truth. We're staggered by who He is. We're staggered by what He's done. We're staggered by what He has promised. Charles Spurgeon, again, he says, real Christians are spoiled for this world. I love this quote. I've always loved this quote. What's he saying? He said, man, the world just, it's too small for me, man. <laughs> you know, if God is in a manger, if God's loved me like that, if I'm on my way to God, the world just holds no allure for me. You know, it does not hold my affections anymore. God holds my affections. I love that quote. The world's too small for me. As compared to an infinite God who's loved me like this. And again, why is He in the manger? Because He's going to the cross. It's the only reason He's in the manger. So you can extrapolate manger cross. It's, it's, that's the only reason He's there. He's not on holiday. He's come to bleed out for His people. It makes me think of Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? It's an it's a illustration I use at least once a year. You guys remember how the book opens. Um, Pilgrim is uh, in despair and there's, there's a burden of sin on his back and he, he, he's afraid he's going, to be, he's going to fall into hell. And Evangelist says, well, why are you so upset? He says, run to the narrow gate. Does anybody remember what Pilgrim does? Pilgrim takes off sprinting to the narrow gate. Right? Do you remember what his friends and family did? They came out and they observed him sprinting to the narrow gate. And they yelled at him and they said, Pilgrim, come back! Come back! You don't have to be crazy, man! You don't have to be a radical follower of Christ! You know, do some religion, but don't abandon your life for Christ. They tried to dissuade him. Some of you have had this experience <laughs> in your family. Don't give yourself away to Christ. Don't be radical about it. You know, just be a church member on Sunday, right? Just do some, some easy and comfortable religion. And how many of you know what Christian did? He put his fingers in his ears. <laughs> and I'll read it to you. He says, he says, life, life, eternal life. If you really believe, you got to run to the narrow gate, man. And if you, you, know, you look at the Christmas story, everybody's on the move. Everybody is on the move. Everybody's going to a new place with God. That's what it means to understand the Christmas story. You're always going to a new place with God. You're like Christian. It doesn't really matter a whole lot what the world's up to. Life, life, eternal life. We are on the move. We are going to our God. I want to make sure you understand. I know you do. We've got a lot of smart people in this room. But I just want to reiterate, I stand here on the authority of the Word of God 
And I say to you that the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords who, tra- who effortlessly spoke two trillion galaxies into existence is in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. This really happened. It's why I had the accounts read. This really happened. There was really a census that was ordered by a real king and a real couple went to Bethlehem and had a real baby. Okay? And, and, and the real shepherds came and the real magi came. This is real. This happened. This happened. This is not a fable. This is not some parable. This is not a myth. God came. God came. When I was in seminary, they had a special class, the Incarnation. It was a summer course. You know, I, I went through seminary. I, would, I, went, oh, I went at 40, so I was, I was an old guy. I was always the oldest guy in the room, just like I'm always the oldest guy in this room. And... Uh, you know, so I was, I, was, I was taking all the summer courses I could, and they had a, they had a course called The Incarnation, and, and I took it, and I loved it. It was great. You know, we just studied The Incarnation, God becoming man. And, of course, all the, the, the sound biblical theologians throughout the history of the church believe it. They affirm it. But what I loved about it was nobody understands it. I was having a discussion this week with someone about it, and there was just this 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 mystery. You know, this, there was a, a an aura of mystery hanging over them. And I said, "Yes, you've got it. If there's mystery, you've understood. It is a miracle. It is beyond finite understanding that God could take on flesh." And the reason God is in that manger infinitely compounds the wonder of it. I've already said it. He's in the manger to redeem His people. It's, it's breathtaking enough to, to think about the fact that He's there. I am is there. In an infant, He's there. But then you think, He's there because Ephesians chapter 1 is true. We were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. And so He has come for us. He is the Good Shepherd. You know what He says, No man takes my life, but I lay it down for my people. I want you to turn with me real quick, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter to this passage is familiar with to, to, to most of you, um, but I just want to I just want to go there and, and touch on it for a few minutes. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter two verses one through three with me. This is who you are apart from the one who's in a manger. Okay, this is who you are. This is who I am. Ephesians chapter two verse one, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. I don't know if there's a more sobering three verses in all of the Bible. We are dead in our sins. We are captive to Satan. And by nature, we are children of wrath. Can it get any worse? (laughs) That's you and me. 
apart from Jesus Christ. But someone tell me, if you have a New American Standard Version, I don't know if this is true in every, every translation, what the first two words of chapter, uh, verse 4 are. What are the first two words of verse 4? By God. You were hopelessly damned. And you are hopelessly damned apart from Jesus Christ. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with, with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Amen? It's the Gospel. Okay? You know, this is why we celebrate uh, Christmas. We understand there's some, you know, pagan roots to a lot of that goes, things that go on in the Catholic Church, but that's not what we're about. We're talking about our Savior coming. Right? We're talking about the Savior coming. Because we need Him. We desperately need Him to be in that manger. We are Lazarus. You know the text, John 11. We are Lazarus. We are dead. It's over. But what happened to Lazarus? He was called out. He was called out. This is what God is doing. God is bringing life where there is no life. I think you heard the text read, Luke chapter 2. It's what Mary said to Gabriel. How can this be since, since I am a virgin? And do you remember Gabriel's response to Mary? Nothing is impossible with God. <laughs> oh, you can be, become a son or daughter of the King. You can be a co-heir with Christ. You can be! You know your sin. You know your hidden thoughts. You know you don't deserve to stand in the presence of a holy God. You know it and I know it. But by the shed blood of Jesus, we can enter in. We are adopted children. Again, <laughs> there should be... You know, really, we should have to rent... The, the, the stadium down there in San Cedro, and there should be tens of thousands of people wanting to hear about Jesus. We understand the theological and nature of man and why that does not often happen. We were dead in our sins, but God is in a manger. We were slaves and captives, but God is in a manger. We were children of wrath, but God is in a manger. You hear me pray it often. Who is a God like ours? And I want to say to you, if this is all small to you, if this is just business as usual to you, if this is music to you, I fear for your soul. This is the most important thing that's ever happened in history. Our calendar reveals as much. Did you notice? God didn't send a subordinate. He didn't send an underling. He didn't send an aide. God came. God came. 
God came for you. How can it not change every day for you? How can it not change every day for you if you really believe it? And God says stuff like this, I've chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. I have freely given you all things. I rejoice in doing good for you. I will not turn away from doing good to you. You are co-heirs with my son. Now, I'm going to dare you to ever live that small again. Okay? You're not in here by mistake. God brought you here in His providence. And you are accountable not to ever live this small again. This is the, the burden that we have of having the truth of God. Actually, it's the joy and burden that we have. <laughs> you know, if it's small to you, just go do something else. This cannot be small to you. This matters every day you roll out of bed. Do you really believe God's in a manger? Google tells me there are 2.2 billion people who will show up for church in a week or two. Is it next week? Yes. Claiming to believe that God is in a manger. Now, we know that most of them do not believe it. How do we know that most of them do not believe it? Because it never changes the way they live on a daily basis. You don't really believe it if it doesn't change the way you live. It's just a fact. It alters your life forever. And if your life hasn't been altered, you haven't really believed it. You may have believed a fact. But we talked about it last week. Saving faith is a faith that changes you from the inside out. It's the born-again miracle that God has done that's why I told you last week that the text I preached last week, James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. It is useless. Can a man be saved by that kind of faith, God says? No. <laughs> right? It's why I told you last week, man. Last week's sermon, it just teed this one up. It just teed it up for me. Those who merely hear the Word but never do the Word, God says they are deluded. James chapter 1, I believe verse 22. And in James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. So, briefly, I'm just going to show you this from the Christmas story. If you really believe, it changes everything. And we're going to see it in Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and the Magi. What did Mary do when God invaded her life? I mean, this is no small matter. <laughs> I know you've heard the story a lot if, you've, if you were raised in the church. 
And it's just kind of like we read over it. <coughs> this was really complicated for Mary. Okay? This was fraught with peril for Mary. There were huge implications here for Mary. Right? Have you ever put yourself in her shoes? This is a big problem. God's come. This is a big problem for me. It's happened to some of you. <laughs> okay? I used to be a mild-mannered accountant at John Deere. <laughs> I'm not anymore, man. We're not all called to ministry. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just using myself as an example. Sometimes God will blow your life up. But this is a big deal for Mary, right? I mean, this is huge. <laughs> she was greatly troubled, Luke 1, 29. She was greatly troubled. Yes, she was. <laughs> and when God calls you to do a hard thing, you are greatly troubled too. But what does she say? You have to love this faith. What does she say? Be it done to me according to your word. Okay? This is biblical faith. This is life-altering, life-changing faith. And I want to challenge you, let that be your pursuit and prayer in 2019. How about Joseph? Joseph. God came to Joseph and invaded his life. And there's a lot of concerns here for him as well. Not near as many as for Mary. But this is really going to complicate what he had planned. Uh, oh, wait a minute. God would never dare complicate my plans, would He? God wouldn't, would, would not have an agenda for me that I've never thought of yet, would He? I mean, this is tough for this man. He had his life planned out. This is a big curveball for this guy, right? This is a big curveball. There are complications and concerns. Matthew 1.24, Joseph did all that the Lord commanded. Okay, I'm asking you. Do you have Mary's faith? And will you obey like Joseph? This is the Christmas story to me. Yes, of course, it's awesome. God's in a manger. But what God is saying, this is how this story affects my people. Right? Faith. Obedience. We've seen it so far. Mary and Joseph. There'll be faith. There'll be obedience. If you truly believe the shepherds, God invaded their life. They're just minding their own business. Just like Mary and Joseph, they're minding their own business. God shows up. I mean, I don't know how it happened to you, but that's kind of how it happened to me. It's like, <laughs> you know, there he was. I'm just minding my own business. And there he was. The Bible says that the, the, the shepherds didn't stand around talking about it. They went straight to Jesus. They made haste in finding Him. Uh, it says they were giving testimony and glorifying and praising God. That's what it looks like when you believe God is in a manger, right? No more lukewarm religion. If you really believe it. 
That's an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron. These guys went immediately to Jesus. Real faith expends energy in the pursuit of Jesus. It's what Bible study is about. It's what prayer is about. It's what uh, uh, sitting under the preached Word is about. We're all like cracked pots. You can't store up God. You don't have the capacity to store up God. Well, i got a good God here. I'm good for another year. I don't have to go back to church. Wrong. You need to be here. Maybe as bad as I need to be here. You need to be under the preached Word. You need to be challenged. You need to be convicted. Life's too short, beloved, to just float downstream. God means for us to be proactive in our pursuit of Him. It's what real Christians do. The Magi. God revealed Himself to them as well. These guys traveled 800 to 1,000 kilometers. This was no small matter in that era. And the Bible says they came and rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They came and they fell down and they worshipped God. And they brought these extravagant gifts to God. They brought their best to God. Is that how it is with you and Jesus, right? (laughs) I come and worship God. And I hold nothing back. He has my heart and everything else. This is if you believe God's in a manger. (laughs) If it's just dogma, it doesn't matter. It's just a nice sort of fiction, right? It's just a pleasant sort of fiction. It doesn't change the way I live. It doesn't change how I think about marriage. It doesn't change how I think about my sexuality. It doesn't change what I do on the internet. It doesn't change how I treat my spouse. Well, I think we all know better, right? That's pseudo-Christianity. It has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. The Magi, they fell down and they worshipped. This life-altering Worship and giving to God. So, you know the story. Christmas is about the incarnation of God. God became a man. There's another incarnation in the Christmas story. Some of you, some of you really, some of you that are still with me, you know what it is. I don't even have to tell you. It's the incarnation of the Word in you. The Word became flesh. John chapter 1. And His people flesh out the Word. You see it in Mary, Joseph, the shepherds and the Magi. And if you're a real Christian, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Every day you get up, you know what it's about. It ain't about you. You know, most of you know what I'm talking about. When you make it about Christ, then you find you. You find you. You find who Christ designed and created you to be. You find you. Your heart beats fast. Your heart beats fast in who you are in Christ. The best way I can love you tonight 
is to challenge you to go do the Word. The Word became flesh and God means for the Word to be fleshed out in your life. So don't tell me you're a Christian if that's not your first priority. Just don't tell me you are. Don't tell me you are. This is what Christmas is to me. You say, Jim, sounds like you got challenged sitting behind your little desk in your little apartment in the little village of Benasco. Yes, I get challenged every time this year rolls around. I get challenged. Because I don't want to live small anymore. I don't want to live like the world. The world is going to burn. As Paul says to his, in one of his letters to Timothy, it will burn. You don't get to keep any of it. And the world is telling you to, you know, store it up and hoard it up and, you know, jump in feet first into the materialism. It'll, it'll make it happen for you. It's all garbage. Only Jesus will make it happen for you. You know, you've heard this said. <laughs> man, that guy was really, man, that guy was radically converted. How many times have you heard this? Some people may have said that about you. Wow, that, that, that woman was radically converted. Well, what I want to say is, that's the only kind of conversion there is. There's never a non-radical conversion. If it's a non-radical conversion, it's probably somebody just becoming a church member. Because if you really believe, the implications are limitless. The implications are huge for us. You guys... You guys know 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, he is new. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. All you got to do is read your New Testament. You say, Jim, I'm not sure I'm believing what you're saying. Just read the New Testament. Matthew, James, John, Andrew, they left everything. Zacchaeus refunded four times what he had defrauded. You've got this life-altering faith in the disciples. You've got this life-altering repentance with Zacchaeus. You've got life-altering trust. Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. You've got life-altering ministry. Paul persecuted at every turn, continued to plant churches among the Gentiles. Life-altering giving. The Macedonians gave out of their deep poverty. Life-altering obedience. Stephen was martyred for his preaching. Life-altering worship. Mary of Bethany broke the vial. 20,000 euros over the head and feet of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't enough for her. And you know what I'm talking about. If you know Him and you love Him, you know that wasn't enough for her. She would have given Him everything else she had too, if she could have. God incarnate is sitting across the table from her and she can't hold it back, man. She can't resist. She can't keep herself from loving and worshiping Him. And this is how it is. This is how it is. For us who know Him and love Him. Mary's life, Joseph's life, the shepherd's life, and the magi's life. We talked about it last week. What happens? If you believe it, what? It all spills out. Sarah Groves. It all spills out. So we see it in the Christmas story. Real belief spills out onto the page. So 
What does your diary look like? What does your journal look like? Man, you need to just be recording this stuff. God, you know, this God work that He's done in my life, you know, it's just spilling out on the page. It's spilling out in my life, consequently. It's on the page. God says the Word was made flesh. Then God says my children will flesh out the Word. Or their faith is comparable to that of the demons. We saw it last week, James chapter 2. I'm not making this up. This is not my language. This is the language God uses in James chapter 2. <laughs> this is the language of God. So I challenge you to have real faith like Mary, to obey like Joseph, to pursue like the shepherds, and to worship like the Magi. This is why I only have one Christmas sermon. Because this is the best way that I can love you. Because maybe some of you have left your first love. Maybe some of you have grown dull. Maybe some of you have gotten into a bad routine. Maybe some of you are in gross sin. I don't know what your situation is. But I am lovingly calling you out of all of that to be stunned and staggered and breathless as you contemplate I am in a manger who's going to a cross for you. That's what I'm challenging you to. Don't let Christmas go by and not rejoice and give thanks and get on your face and worship this awesome God who should have never saved you. How, how can you not love this God? And so I just want to say... <laughs> If I did not challenge you tonight, I would be guilty of gross malpractice. If I were to allow you to just drift through the Christmas season again, it's just another Christmas season. You know, it's just like the rest of them. We'll do the obligatory family stuff and the obligatory cultural stuff. But I'll never be moved by what it really means because I'll never take the time to do it. Well, beloved, I, I exhort you God means for you to take the time to rejoice, to worship, and to be still and to contemplate what He has done in your behalf. This is why I have one Christmas sermon. Because I love you. And I want you to have the best Christmas you've ever had. <laughs> and it will only happen if you are stunned and staggered by this, this truth and this reality. Eugene Peterson is right every time the Christmas story is rightly preached and rightly understood. Everyone's way of life is, is in danger. It's the inevitable and unavoidable consequence of really believing that God is in a manger. So, I close with this. Do you really believe? It'll be in your life. If you really believe, it'll be in your life. The Bible says the Word was made flesh. And every day you roll out of bed as a Christian, 
you will be fleshing out the Word. It's just what happens. It's just what happens. I'll close with John 14.15. One of my favorite verses. Jesus says, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. Let's pray together. Lord, what an awesome story. God made flesh. It's inherent in the very telling of the story and the very hearing of the story. If we are not staggered and stunned, we have not really believed it. If it has not changed the way we think and live and plan and dream and hope and love and obey, we have not believed it. So Lord, there may be some here tonight that need to confess to You that they have never really believed in the way that Mary did and the way Joseph did and the way the shepherds did and the way the Magi did. So Lord, I pray You would give us a spirit of humility and repentance. Lord, there may be some here who have grown dull. And have not thought deeply about what You have done in a long time. I mean deeply. I mean deeply. Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would draw us in. Lord, forgive us for allowing this to become superficial in any way. May we set aside this Christmas season to worship like we have never worshipped before. Our God is in a manger and our God is on the tree and I am free from my sin. Come, teach us. Teach us, Father, we pray. We love You. We pray all this in the wonderful and matchless and astonishing and beautiful name of Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.